Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 2019 Study Smarter series for the USMLE Step 2 and Core Clerkships or Shelf Exams. Well, I guess I haven't really thought of exactly what to call this, but you get the point. We are going to be dissecting high-yield questions that are relevant to each of the required clerkships. That includes family medicine, internal medicine, surgery, pediatrics, psychiatry, and OBGYN. Plus, if there's time, we will throw in neurology. In this episode, I just want to give you a taste of what our plans are for each of the clerkships. All right, so here we go. If you've been a listener to the show, you know that analogous to a child whose eyes are bigger than his or her stomach, sometimes my ambitions are maybe a little larger than our budget, both in time and actual money. So here is the plan, but take it cum grano salis, which is Latin for with a grain of salt. I just figured I'd throw that out there as some bonus learning. Um, But now that we have assembled a more stable team, I'm hoping that we can reliably provide the following for you. So for each clerkship, the minimum plan is, number one, we will compile our highest yield question dissections from past episodes of the Inside the Board's main podcast or Study Smarter podcast and throw them together in one place so that you have a section of questions to keep the focus of this podcast all about question dissections. Depending on the availability of guests, we will be doing two to three new episodes interviewing luminaries in whatever subject we're considering. We'll be doing an excerpt of the highest yield points from our chief content officer, Dr. Ted O'Connell's book, USMLE Step 2 Secrets, because we are in conjunction with this series launching an enhanced USMLE Step 2 Secrets podcast, thanks to Elsevier and Dr. O'Connell. So there's that too. And then we may have a bonus episode featuring a long-form discussion of one topic, a solo episode enhanced with some sections from our all-audio QBank. Throughout this series, for each clerkship, you'll probably hear some segments from our friends like Doc Osere with a mentorship moment from him providing advice on how to excel in whatever clerkship we're covering and, of course, on the shelf exam, and probably throw in some other high-yield sections from other content providers who really are able to break down questions or concepts to help you learn efficiently. Because you don't have a lot of time, especially in third year, You're following around a resident or attending all day, watching them do their job. Hopefully you're getting to participate in a meaningful sense, but we'll leave that aside. Um, For my diatribe, you can check out uh, the recent episode on the main channel, 
medical schools as moral agents. But you do have time when you are showering, hopefully, or driving in the car on your way to the hospital, exercising, or instead of crying alone in the bathroom, just throw on your headphones, listen to this podcast, and hopefully, because this is always our goal, with each episode, we will provide you something high yield that you can take away from the episode and bring with you to the testing center on test day. If you're familiar with our Step 1 Study Smarter series, you know we're not going to be able to do an exhaustive or comprehensive education on each shelf exam. But the goal is exactly that, to give you something high yield to help you on Step 2 or your shelf exams. Of course, it wouldn't be me if I didn't tell you to go download the Inside the Boards beta iOS app and sign up for our all-audio QBank. The Step 2 version is powered by Online MedEd. They are audio-optimized questions for Step 2 study in an app that is going to be getting a complete overhaul in the next couple months and be available for both Android and iOS. We'll be starting with general surgery in our series, and just to give you a taste of the flavor of what we'll be doing, First up, here's a mentorship moment with Doc Osere. Check out his YouTube channel. Just search Doc Osere, O-S-S-A-R-E-H, on YouTube to find his channel full of practical tips, study advice, and encouragement covering both undergraduate and graduate medical education. You can also buy Mo's book, A to Z of Medical School, The Complete Guide, to learn how to navigate the rigors of med school with ease. Mo shares his successful strategies of how to optimally study as a medical student and dominate the USMLE exams. So I'll put a link in the show notes to A to Z of Medical School by Mohamed Osare. I'm going to talk to you about the four things I think every med student should be doing to enhance their learning and make themselves efficient and cutting edge. The very first is going to be learn from exams. Um, and that may be kind of odd, but I've been doing, you know, I've been tutoring all throughout med school and I still tutor now. And the one thing I see that most incoming med students have problems with is that they want to endlessly read with some degree of focus, but no true intention. And that's where I think you can really fall behind and that's, that can hurt you. Um, so when I've been, you know, trying to teach incoming med students how to be more, you know, higher performing or better, um, the very first thing I try to teach, and I notice that almost everyone does it wrong, is you have to learn from previous exams or learn from questions, not just reading. Um, and it's very important to read, but how you do it's important. And I call this like the backwards method. Um, I've talked about it with board exams and how to use QBanks, but it's the same concept. When you're studying for your basic science or clinical courses, you can just read, 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 and hope you're getting all the high-yield information and hope you're ready for the exams and not have a lot of tests to yourself. Um, or you could do it backwards. Um, you know, you can read the lecture slides, you can kind of read and get the basics of what's going on, but then just attack questions. Um, and the beauty of that is the questions are designed to highlight an important or high yield information. And that concept is core to doing well in med school. Don't be afraid if you haven't read anything to attack questions, get them wrong, 
read about it and learn the important stuff. Uh, I think the trend I've noticed, you know, the most with myself and working with other students um, is that people don't want to get questions wrong. They feel horrible. They're like, oh no, I got that wrong. And I keep telling them, of course you got it wrong. You didn't really know it. We've just started questions. We're learning backwards. So don't be scared of getting questions wrong. It's expected with this technique and it's what's going to make you better. So learning from exams is key number one. Um, and how do you get those? You know, if you're studying for boards, you can use any QBank you like. Um, you can use Lecturio, you can use uh, UWorld, USMLE World, Kaplan, First Aid QBank, um, whatever you want. Um, and if you're in clinical years and you're or in the basic science years, you can get any of those like BRS, high yield, um, any of those kind of books. And there's questions always in the back. Um, all those questions are not going to you know, prepare you for boards. Don't expect every question to be like a step one, step two or step three question. But the important thing is learn how to read questions, learn how to decipher what questions are asking you, be able to answer it correctly. And if you get it wrong, go learn from that question. What are they trying to get at? What's the important learning point? And that's going to guide your reading much more than just trying to read chapter after chapter in a recommended textbook. So lesson number one, do questions, get them from previous exams. If you have access to them, all those like med school, high yield, BRS, um, quick recall, I can't remember all the brands, you know, all those books, they have questions in the back and they have efficient notes to read, um, hit real cue banks on the boards. And the beauty of that is tell yourself, I'm expecting to get almost all these questions wrong and anything I get right, wow, I'm great. And then learn from every question you get wrong. And now you're doing the same amount of reading and hopefully much more efficiently now, you're focused on your reading and you're not just reading aimlessly, you're getting a bunch of high yield information, you'll be very efficient, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll do well on your exam. So that's lesson number one. All right, there is our mentorship moment with Mohamed Osiray, Doc Osiray. You should check out his episodes on neurology, uh, whose focus was in our step one study smarter series on this channel, just Look for Neuro with Doc Osiray. It, it was step one focused, but a lot of it's relevant to step two as well. All right, so what can you expect during the step two Study Smarter series? As usual, the breakdown of high-yield questions for the exam. So to keep my promise to give you something you can take away from this episode, here's a question for today. We'll start with the interrogatory which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? A 55-year-old Caucasian female presents to the emergency department complaining of abdominal pain. Vital signs include a temperature of 38.1 Celsius, 100.5 Fahrenheit, a blood pressure that is normal, a heart rate of 98 beats per minute, and a respiratory rate of 24 breaths per minute. Her pulse ox is 90% on room air. An abdominal x-ray indicates free air under the diaphragm. So which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? All right, now, before looking at the answer choices, remember, a board-style question requires satisfaction of the cover-the-answer-choices test. So you should be able to provide an answer to a question based on the vignette and what you're being asked. Now, you should, right? Like, theoretically, it is hypothetically possible. It doesn't mean you can, um, because sometimes the answer choices very specifically narrow the sorts of 
responses that are permitted, right? They might all be treatments or diagnostic tests or whatever. So when it comes to which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management, every answer choice is going to be an appropriate step in managing a patient, and you should try to provide an answer before actually looking at the choices. That is your hunch reflex at work, something deep inside of you from doing thousands of questions that helps you get to the answer, even if there is that element of uncertainty exactly which answer choice is in fact best. Like I tell my patients all the time, look, there is always some uncertainty in medicine. You can never have absolute certainty. It's just moral certainty, i.e. the ability to take a course of action based on as complete a picture or knowledge of what's going on will allow. But there is always some diagnostic uncertainty because medicine is primarily an art and not a science. It just uses science. But I digress. Also, I don't really say it like that to patients. But let us refocus. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? So looking at this vignette, Now we're going to return and break down, look for the pertinent positives and negatives to help us answer that question. 55-year-old female comes to the emergency department, which means it's likely to be an emergent sort of cause on the boards, not necessarily in real life. Vital signs are significant for a fever, normal blood pressure, a heart rate that's almost tachycardic, and an elevated respiratory rate. Pulse ox is normal. An abdominal x-ray shows free air under the diaphragm. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? Free air under the diaphragm, fever, 55-year-old woman in the emergency department. Is it A, a CT of the chest and abdomen with contrast? A CT of the chest and abdomen without contrast? Exploratory laparotomy? Or flexible sigmoidoscopy? All right, and the correct answer for this one is exploratory laparotomy. So what makes this question kind of nice is it illustrates something um, that often you will find when approaching these sorts of things, namely the mention of the air under the diaphragm. That is pathognomonic for a perforation of the bowel. Um, Now, of course, you can get pneumoperitoneum from other things, like if somebody just had a laparoscopy or a laparotomy, C-section, say, in that immediate post-operative period, they may actually have this finding as expected. However, in a patient who doesn't have that history with the acute onset of abdominal pain, you've got a perforation. Now, some things to know about uh, perforation. Number one, the pain is sudden and onset constant, generalized, and tends to be severe. If a patient can remember, oh yeah, I was sitting on the couch and all of a sudden, boom, pain, um, that ability to remember a point in time when the pain started is a very um, supportive historical point for this diagnosis. On exam, of course, you'd expect to see signs of peritoneal irritation, like rebound, tenderness, guarding, And on an upright abdominal x-ray, you will see free air under the diaphragm. This is a surgical emergency, 
So laparotomy is the next best step in managing this patient, given the answer choices here, because you have to open up the patient and look for the cause of the perforation and repair it. A perforated peptic ulcer is the most common cause of a bowel perforation, a perforated viscous. Duodenal ulcers contribute more than gastric ulcers do. And then this is followed like by diverticular disease. Interestingly, in the geriatric population, a perforated appendix uh, is the most common cause of perforation. And there are a bunch of other causes. Uh, We just mentioned a few, but basically anything that can cause the bowel to uh, explode, tear, burst, whatever you want to say. If you can get a hole in it, you can get free air under the diaphragm. So one of the things I'd like to point out is if one of the answer choices had been related to the ABCs um, and the patient had a more septic impending cardiovascular collapse picture within the vignette, then of course, your next step in management would have been IV fluid resuscitation. If you're given which of the following is the most appropriate next step in the management of this patient, and one of the answer choices had been antibiotics, like IV antibiotics, this would have been the correct answer because you can give antibiotics while waiting for surgery and antibiotics are part of the management of a perforated viscous. That is in distinction to a question like, which of the following is the best treatment for this patient? If that were the question with this particular vignette, and you had antibiotics, exploratory laparotomy, and some imaging studies, then, of course, you would pick the laparotomy, because that's the best treatment. So as you take questions, just pay attention. Most appropriate next step in management, most appropriate next step in diagnosis versus the best treatment or the best diagnostic test. These are slightly different questions which have important distinctions, so don't get tripped up. I hope that makes sense. The long and the short of it is, make sure the patient's airways, breathing, and circulation are fine. An abdominal x-ray, looking upright abdominal x-ray, looking for free air under the diaphragm. If a vignette basically gives you the diagnosis like this one does, a history of acute abdomen with free air under the diaphragm, your steps in treatment should include IV antibiotics to prevent infection, If that's not an option, then surgical exploration, which is also the treatment for this condition. Now, just to touch on a few other things about um, perforation. If you were asked which of the following is the best diagnostic test for a vignette that presents a patient with what sounds like a perforated viscous, the most definitive or the best diagnostic test for finding pneumoperitoneum is actually a CT scan. It's just more sensitive, but of course, if you have an unstable patient or you can't wait that uh, the length of time it would take to get a CT, then you don't do that. An upright abdominal x-ray is just a quick and dirty thing, um, so that should be the next step in imaging or next step in diagnosis if you're not already given imaging, 
but truly the the best diagnostic test, the most accurate, most sensitive is going to be a, a CT scan. Just throwing that out there. I hope it makes sense and doesn't confuse the picture. I just want you to be able to think through the different ways a, a vignette can be presented so that the interrogatory can be changed slightly, which will focus and, and specify uh, what types of answer choices are allowed. And just one other thing to mention about the answer choices, I won't go through all of them because I kind of touched on them in this explanation, but uh, I mentioned flexible sigmoidoscope. This sort of issue comes up in the setting of uh, an acute picture of diverticulitis. You can get a perforation from diverticular disease, but even aside from that, you want to avoid a flexible sigmoidoscopy or barium enemas in the initial kind of acute phase of diverticulitis uh, because of the increased risk of uh, perforation. We didn't have a clinical vignette that set up uh, diverticulitis. Um, it was very, very clearly already to the point of perforation uh, because of the free air under the diaphragm. But had we not had that finding on x-ray, and yet a patient with uh, fever, left lower quadrant abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, um, then you'd want to avoid the uh, flex sig and barium enema and instead just give them broad-spectrum antibiotics, which is the essentially the uh, big portion of the treatment uh, besides bowel rest for uh, diverticulitis um, that's uncomplicated and the patient's stable. And of course, there'll be more time to get into all of this throughout our Step 2 Study Smarter series. Thanks so much for listening. Good luck on your shelf exams.